Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Our God is holy, is holy indeed. Well, good morning. Uh, It is good to see you this morning. Uh, The Bible is the very word of God to us. Uh, So if you have a copy of yours with humility and with a sense of reverence, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 uh, to 7 uh, this morning. Uh, And as you turn there, let me say that it is a real joy and a privilege once more to be uh, standing in the pulpit to preach this morning. If you do not know me, my name is Ruben Moyana. I'm one of the elders here at Cross Point, and I'm uh, really thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to preach uh, to you. I am married to Edith Moyana, and we have two girls, Joy and Jada. They are, uh, actually, Edith is serving in children's ministry. That's why I don't see her right now. So uh, I'm grateful for you. So if you're visiting with us, let me go ahead and tell you that I'm not typically uh, the one preaching on Sundays. Uh, pastor Brad is uh, our leading pastor, and uh, I'm really thankful that he's given me this opportunity uh, to preach to you this morning. I'm really grateful for our Pastor Brad for how he is so faithful to, to take us through the Word of God uh, week by week, uh, and uh, how he goes through chapter by chapter, verse by verse every Sunday. Uh, that's uh, what we need as a body of believers. Uh, but however, this morning we are looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And the title of my sermon is Walking Worthy of the Calling. Walking Worthy of the Calling. But before we do, uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we we are so grateful for, for you. Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity that we have once more to, to gather here as your people, to open up your word, to praise you, to worship you, to exalt your name. Father, we are so grateful for your word, God. The Bible tells us that all scripture is breathed out by, by you, that it is profitable for teaching us for reproofing us, for, for correcting us, for training us in righteousness uh, so that we could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God, we pray that, that you would allow us as a people now to, to be encouraged from your word and by your spirit, God, we pray that you would indeed teach us and reprove us and correct us and train us in righteousness and convict us, God, by your spirit in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. This is the word of God. So I uh, came to the United States of America uh, when I was uh, 17 years old uh, from Zimbabwe. And uh, I'll never forget the, the week before I came to America. It seemed as if everybody made it their mission to come to our house to give me our words of wisdom. And I remember my grandmother uh, visiting us, and she sat me in the living room, and she said, now, now my grandson, 
uh, you're about to go to the United States of America, and you know, you know I've been there, right? You know, I went there to visit your uncle. And I said, yes, Grandma. She's like, well, I think there are many things about America that I think you're going to enjoy while you're there. Yeah, they've got these things called washing machines. Um, they've got, you don't even have to wash your own dishes. You can just put them in this machine. And they've got vending machines. You can put like money and food just drops out of there. And then even better, they got Chinese buffets. <laughs> so uh, I, I got excited uh, as my grandmother was talking to me. And uh, ever since, I've been a Chinese uh, uh, buffet fan. So. But uh, one thing I remember my grandmother telling me was that she said to me, Grandson, uh, do not forget. Do not forget the things we have taught you. Uh, we have taught you a lot of morals. We have taught you a lot of biblical wisdom over the years. And when you go to America as a 17-year-old, I want you to remember that you are representing us. You are representing our family. You are representing our country. Don't forget that you're representing us. Please, please don't forget that you're representing us. And I think the same thing can be said to us as God's people that we are representing Christ. We are representing us. We are representing the Christian community. All Christians represent Christ and Christianity to the world. In fact, the Bible says that Christians are like ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So an ambassador is an official representative who is sent on behalf of a king or a government to another king or to another nation. Christians or believers are God's ambassadors or envoys to the world. We represent Christ to the world. And if we represent Christ to the world, then the reality of the matter is that the way we live matters. There should not be a disconnect in what we believe and what we profess and how we live our lives. In other words, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We cannot be good ambassadors for Christ if we are pursuing ungodliness and not living according to the ways of God. It is a really, really a sad situation and in fact quite inappropriate when people say that they believe in God and yet they adopt a lifestyle that seems to contradict and deny the very things that they say they believe. We cannot be good ambassadors for Christ if we are living in depravity. We cannot be good ambassadors for Christ if we are living in sin and immorality. So in this segment of the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the of the calling to which you have been called. So that's, that's my goal this morning. I want to exhort us. I want to encourage us to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. But before we go further to talk about this theme, I want you, first of all, look in the Bible there. Look, uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he uses this term, I therefore. I therefore. So the word therefore, uh, it connects this sentence that Paul has said uh, to what he has been saying in the previous chapters. 
Paul says, I therefore a prisoner. So Paul is in a prison in Rome sometime between A.D. 60 to A.D. 62 as he writes uh, this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, The letter to the Ephesians actually is one of those letters of Paul that are often referred to as the prison epistles, along with the Ephesians, Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. Some scholars have suggested uh, that the letter to the Ephesians was composed at the same time as the letter to the Colossians. In fact, uh, if you get a chance, just, just read them side by side one time, and you, you'll realize that the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians have much of the same message and even the same structure. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he's got two, two reasons, really, if you had to sum it up. Uh, number one, he wants to reveal the redemptive purpose of God for the whole universe. That, that God has a redemptive purpose through his son, Jesus Christ, through the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That God is working out his purpose through the church as well, which is, the bo- which is his body on earth. And then another reason that he's writing this letter is that he's writing this letter to encourage the church uh, to walk in a spirit of oneness, uh, in a spirit of unity. Uh, In the language of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, uh, he wants them to be kind to one another, uh, to be tender-hearted, to be forgiving one another as God has forgiven them. And just like he does... Uh, in most of his letters, uh, Paul really, he, he spends the first half of the letter explaining the, the doctrine or the theology of the gospel. And then when we get to chapter 4, where we are, he goes on and gives them the, the, du- the, the duty. So, so we can say that when we get to chapter 4, the word therefore is really marking for us a transition from the doctrine to duty from the principle to the practical application, from the position to the behavior. In other words, we can say that from chapter 1 to chapter 3, Paul is telling them about who they are in Christ. Like, like who, who are you in Christ? And then in chapter 4 to chapter 6, is about how we are supposed to live in Christ. I like what uh, one commentator was saying uh, worst. It was actually... Uh, word study it was like a, in the in a word study. It say that in brief, uh, God says in chapter one to chapter three, I have made you a saint. So God in chapter one to chapter three is saying I've made you a saint, and then in chapter four to chapter six, He is saying now go and live like a saint. So so what is some of the doctrine that the Apostle Paul has been uh, teaching up to this point? Well, uh, first of all, we see really the one of the great doctrines of our faith, uh, which is the doctrine of God's election. Uh, The reality that before the earth was ever founded, God chose or elected believers in Christ, that he chose all who would trust and commit themselves to Christ so that they would be holy and blameless to the praise of his glorious grace, that God has set a people apart for himself and for his glory. It is a difficult doctrine for some people to accept, but Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says it. Here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, 
which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then another high doctrine that we see is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then listen to verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he's already laying down really for us uh, this doctrine of justification by faith. Uh, the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then we get to chapter 2, verse 1 to 18. And then he goes over and talks about the, the doctrine of God's reconciliation. Uh, the reality that since, since the fall, since Genesis chapter 3 happened, uh, all things have been out of harmony and out of order. That, that, that there is division in the world. There is disunity in the world. There is disharmony in the world. But the day is coming when God is going to gather all things together as one and place them before Jesus Christ in his kingdom. All things that are in heaven and, and, and all things that are on earth. So in other words, you can say that Jesus Christ is the center and he is the cord that binds all things together. He is the great reconciler, the one to whom all things can look for salvation and for peace for eternity. And then, so when we come to chapter 4, it is a continuation of another doctrine that he goes through, which is the doctrine of the church. And he starts off this doctrine in chapter 2, verse 19, to chapter 3, verse 13, uh, this reality that God has a body, he, his church, a people that have been called out by God, that he is recreating them to experience the truth of reconciliation, that he is recreating them to experience peace. And so we see that Jesus Christ is the instrument of God's for reconciliation and that the church is Christ's instrument for reconciliation. So that's one of the themes that we see that he goes over. So that is a summary of what Paul has said so far. So the reason why I did all that is because the sentence started off with, I therefore. So it's important that we get like an idea of what Paul has said up to this point. So in fact, the doctrine of the church, uh, as we continue here, is so important to us to for, for us to really uh, understand. We know that the church is the gathered assembly of believers who have been called out by God. They are the ecclesia, the called out ones. Uh, if you look in the language in the text again, look in chapter 4, verse 1 again. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the what? Say it. <laughs> All right, calling. Uh, to which you have been called. So, so my question for us is this. So what is this language of calling? When he says calling, well, well, calling really refers to God's summoning of individuals and people to himself so that they belong, and they belong to him and so that they can serve him. In fact, so when you think about it, you know, theologians, they often talk about call in two ways. Uh, they talk about what's called the general call or the external call or the gospel call. Those, those three terms are synonymous. And then they often talk also about what is known as the effective calling or the internal calling. And, and this is the difference right here. So Wayne, Grud Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology, he puts it this way. It's going to be up on your screen. So he says that effective calling is an act of God, the Father, speaking through human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. So again, when you talk about calling, it's the idea that it is entirely an act of God. Effective call is what happened to the Ephesians who were truly saved. And it is also true to any of you in here, if you are truly saved in Christ, you have been called as well. 
On the other hand, there's also what is known as the gospel call or the general call. And the gospel call really refers to, to the human preaching of the, of the word or the proclamation of the gospel, uh, which, we're supposed, which is supposed to go out to everybody because we do not really know who is really called. So the gospel, what, what do we preach in the gospel call? Well, we preach that all people, all people have sinned against God. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We preach that we are by nature sinners. We are the children of wrath. And that the penalty for our sins is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that we could not live. And he died a death that we should have died to pay the penalty for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And then there's an invitation for people to respond in repentance and in faith. So if you are here today and you do not know Christ, if you do not know Jesus, the gospel call is for you. Turn away from your sins. Place your trust in what Jesus Christ has done, and you also will be reconciled to the holy God by this effective calling and then justification. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent. Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you. So the, the Ephesians, they had heard the gospel call, but even more specifically, they had experienced this effective calling of God. The reality that the king of the universe had, had given a summons. And that summons had such an irresistible power that it brought about a response of repentance and faith to the gospel. So my dear friends, do you, do you know of this calling? Do you know of this salvation of God? The Ephesians, they knew of this calling. And they were Christians. And now Paul is saying to them, if you are truly called, if you are truly a Christian, it should completely change the way you act. In other words, don't act like people who are not saved. You know, what is said, sometimes I've heard people say that, I don't want anything to do with Christianity because I know people who claim to be Christians that act so evil. Christians, let us not act evil. Let us not quarrel and bicker as the world does. Let us not be so hateful as the world is. Let us not be so divisive as the world is. Because we have been called out of this world. We have been called out from death to life. We have been called out from the darkness into God's marvelous light. My dear friends, when you have been called, when we have been justified, it should absolutely change everything. It changes how we walk. It changes how we do life. It, it does. Now Paul, you know, he communicates the same idea to the Philippians as well. So in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, uh, he writes a letter to the Philippians also from prison. And this is what he said. He says in, uh, verse chap in chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. So the way we live, our manner of life, should be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We should walk in a worthy, in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Now the, the word walk, you know, the word walk here is really it's a metaphor. 
It's a metaphor that Paul is using to describe the way we live. In fact, if you, if, when I was reading in chapter 2, you may, you may have missed it. Let me read it again. In chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works with which God prepared beforehand, that we should what? Walk in them. So it's important to remember that good, good, works, good works don't save us. But because we have been saved, God enables us to do these good works. So are we walking in a manner worthy of the calling? Are we walking in a manner worthy of the calling when we are at work? Are we walking in a manner worthy of the calling when we are home? When we are at school? When we are at church? When we are with fellow believers? When we are with our family members? When we are with our friends? When we are with our neighbors? Are we walking worthy of the call when people cut us off in traffic? When we are alone on our phones and computer screens? Young adults, students, moms, dads, grandparents, you young men in the military, are we living in such a way that is worthy of the calling, worthy of the gospel. So, so, so what, what does a worthy, what does a life that is worthy of the gospel look like? Well, you know, the, the list, there's a list in the text there, but I want you to first of all realize that this list is not exhaustive. So there are many other ways that, that, that uh, we can walk in a way that's worthy. A worthy call is characterized, according to the text here, but by, by humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and eagerness, eagerness to maintain unity of spirit in the bond of peace. And then a realization of what unites us, that we are one body. That we have one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now, if you look at that list very carefully, you will realize that some of those characteristics are actually the fruit of the spirit. So turn with me, if you can, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So, writing to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul teaches us that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. So, we do this walking, we keeping up with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Look in chapter 5, verse 16. But I say to you, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. And then you look in chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep with, with what? With the Spirit. So going back to Ephesians, you know, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And my dear friends, the only way we're able to do this walking is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are unable, unable to do this in our own power, in our own strength, and in our own ability. Look again in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 there. Uh, this is the fruit of the Spirit here. He says that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So all, all believers who have been called by God have the have the presence with the presence of the in indwelling holy spirit in us and this holy spirit is what gives us the power and the ability to 
to walk in this manner. Again, the word walk, like I said, is a metaphor that's really used uh, to indicate that it is a continuous, it was, it's a continuous action. It's a, it's a habitual lifestyle. When we talk about walking, it implies that we are, we are actually making progress as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. So my question for us this morning is, are we, are we making progress? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we, are we growing daily in our humility? Are we growing daily in our gentleness? In our patience? Are we growing in bearing with, what, with other people in love? Are we growing in having a spirit of unity? Oh, if not, I urge you to pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit will grow you in these areas. Brothers and sisters, when we surrender, when we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit, we are really able to walk in this manner. So again, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel means that we're walking in humility. It means we're walking in humility. So humility obviously means to be humble. Humility is an attitude of lowliness and obedience that is really grounded in, the, in recognizing our status before God as his creatures. To be, to be humble is to have a meekness about us. To be respectful, to be submissive, to be modest, to be subdued by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. Now, the opposite of being humble is to be proud and overbearing. So, let me ask again a question. Are you, are you characterized by humility? Or are you more characterized by pride and being overbearing? Ladies and gentlemen, if we are not careful, if we are not careful, our education can make us a proud people. If we are not careful, our beautiful homes and our cars can make us a proud people. Our fancy clothes, our looks, our abilities can make us a proud people. Our bank balances can often make us a proud people. And if we are not careful, even our proper theology can make us a proud people. Oh, God, help us so that we can walk in humility. We read before from Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus Christ is the perfect example for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that's humility. So my dear friends, we need to be humble like our Lord Jesus Christ was humble. So, so as God's people, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by walking in humility. And then secondly, we are to walk in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel by walking in gentleness. By walking in gentleness. Now, according to the Webster Dictionary, gentleness means that we are free from harshness, sternness, or violence. So, gen so gentleness means we are not harsh with people. You know, the word used here can actually also be translated as meekness. Uh, I think the, the King James Version actually translates it that way. So, so we are not to be harsh, but instead we are to be, to be a meek people. And we need to realize that this gentleness, again, again, it all goes back to the, to the fruit of the Spirit. That, that meekness as well is enabled by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Thomas Watson, a Puritan from the 1600s, has to say about it. This is what Thomas Watson says. He says, meekness is a grace whereby 
we are enabled by the Spirit of God to moderate our passion. So we are enabled by the Spirit of God. So gentleness means that we have no desire as well for revenge. If we are truly gentle, we have no desire to be revengeful. And we have no desire for retribution. And we are considerate to other people as well. So are we known for our gentleness? Are we known for our gentleness or are we known to be harsh? Are we known to be stern and violent? Are we known to be an angry people? You know, these days we may not be harsh and violent face to face with each other, but we are often harsh and verbally violent with our words that we post on our social media accounts. And my friends, remember that God, God himself is gentle with us. So we should strive to be gentle with other people. And we need to remember too that gentleness is a strength in our character. Gentleness does not mean that we are weak. Gentleness does not mean that we are coward. But gentleness plays itself out in being, being comforting to other people. Speaking tenderly to each other. Husbands and wives, husbands and wives. Speak tenderly to each other. Speak with gentleness to each other. Don't be so harsh. Don't be so verbally violent. Don't be so angry. Don't be so angry with each other. And you know, even as we correct each other, you know, there are some times where we are, you know, you're right. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one who's right. You know, the, the Bible gives us an example even in church discipline. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So God help us to be, to be gentle. So we, we are to walk in humility, we are to walk in gentleness. And then number three, we are to walk with patience, bearing with one another. We are to walk with patience, bearing with one another. So, so, so believers, we are to walk in, in patience. To be patient is to bear with pains and, and trials calmly, without complaint. And really the only way to do that is when we know that there is a greater good, right? So the greater good for us is the glory of God. So, so again, to be patient, if you think about it, is having a quality of forbearance and self-control, which shows itself particularly uh, in a willingness to wait upon God, to wait upon God's will. When we are patient, we wait for God and His will. When we are patient, we realize that, you know what, things may, may happen in our lives, perhaps not the way we want it to happen, or perhaps in a way we may not want it to happen, but, but we wait, we wait, we trust the Lord as we wait. Knowing that God wait, wants us to be patient with, with our situations and patient with one another. So God teaches us a lot. He teaches us a lot when we're patient in that, in that journey as we walk. In, so patience is so necessary in the life of the local church. Again, writing to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. There it is. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So that's what patience looks like. You know, it means that we are to bear with one another, ultimately knowing that there is a greater good, like I just said. So we are to walk with humility, and, and we are to walk with gentleness and patience. And as we do that, number four, we are to do that with love. We are to do that with love. So, so love is another fruit of the Spirit. You know, there, there are different types of love that the Bible often speaks about. 
But the love that's mentioned here is the agape love. This unconditional love. Agape love is the love of the mind. A love of the reason. A love of the will. It is a love that goes so far. Agape love is love regardless of how we feel. Agape love is, is loving a person whom in some cases is not even deserving of love. Agape love is loving the person who is utterly unworthy of being loved. Selfless agape love is the love of God himself that he has extended to us while we were sinners. Romans chapter 5 verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his what? His love, that agape love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul says that we are to bear with one another, with this type of love. And I want you to notice there, uh, the, what the apostle Paul says, like, look, look again, we're back in, in Ephesians, I want you to notice what Paul says in the verses before we get to chapter 4. So, so look in chapter 3, verse 14. He says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and then look, look at this part here. It says, that you, being what? Rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So as Christians, our faith is rooted and grounded in love. And that love really flows from the incomprehensible love of Christ Jesus. You know, recently I, I planted some trees in my backyard. And this was actually uh, the second time I've done this. Like the first time I had gone, to, I think I went to like a place like uh, Home Depot. I got like a tree and I planted it. I just dug a little hole, put it in there, closed it up, forgot about it. <laughs> and, uh, and I realized that, you know, the tree was not thriving. Uh, and it died within like a month or so. Uh, so, but this time around, like about two months ago, I planted some trees in my backyard. And the difference this time is I actually put like a, I dug a wide enough hole. And then I put soil that was healthy there. So, so love is the soil, is the soil that we need to thrive in the church. So when we walk in a manner worthy of the calling, it means we bear with one another with this agape love. And then... When we walk in a manner worthy of the calling, it also means that we should be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. Like I said before, you know, unity and reconciliation is one of the major themes in this particular letter. So as Christians, we are united as one. The church is encouraged by God to walk in oneness and unity. There is not to be any type of division in the church. You know, unity marks out God's people. And Jesus Christ, you know, when he died on the cross, the Bible tells us that he broke down the wall of hostility for us so that all types of people are saved. So the gospel saves a diverse type of people who are then called to unite as one. So the church of Jesus Christ consists of people from different nationalities, different people groups, people that are rich, the poor, black, White, Asian, Hispanic, mixed races, you know, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people that are all made and created in the image of God from different cultures. And, and he has united us as one. And, and the word tells us that we are to be eager to maintain that unity. So unfortunately, there seems to be an infinite number of things that divide us. Or that threatened to divide the unity of the church. Our doctrinal beliefs, our worship style preferences, race issues, 
differences in our political opinion. And, you know, the list could go on and on and on and on and on. So we have to see then what, what unites us. Again, look in the text. Ephesians chapter 4 says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all. Now, sometimes when we talk about unity, there are some people who are not Christians that love to talk about unity as well. For example, those that advocate for same-sex marriage uh, or, or those that support abortion would say, let's all be united. People who deny the sufficiency of Scripture would say, let's all be united. But no. We cannot be unequally yoked. Unity does not mean that we compromise biblical truth. Unity does not mean that we, we compromise biblical principles. Unity does not mean that we abandon what God has taught us to be true in His Word. And as believers, we all have the responsibility to maintain the unity of the church. And Paul gives us here what seems to be seven confessional statements of oneness that provide that basis. You know, he says we are one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So every single member has an important role to play to edify the church. I mean, if you look again, like in verse 7, it says there, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the question is, what role are you playing as a member of this church? We are to be one body. We have one spirit. We have one hope. And we have one Lord, and His name is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. And we have one faith, and which refers to the gospel message again, the reality that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to live a life that we could not live and to die a death that we should have died on the cross. And yet he didn't stay dead. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. Defeated it. So that we could repent. So that we could turn away from our sins and be reconciled to the, to the holy God. So again, if you are here today, if you have not trusted in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, I invite you to believe the gospel. Repent. Repent. Turn away from your sins and trust in the work of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you trust in Jesus, the Bible encourages us as new believers to be baptized. So we have one baptism as Christians. We have one baptism and we have one God and Father of all. So as I, as I close, I want to ask the question again. Why is this all important? Why is it necessary that we live a life that is worthy of the call? And the answer is the glory of God. God deserves all the glory and all the honor from us. And when we live in unity as God's people, and when we are characterized by humility and gentleness and patience, when we are bearing with one another in love, ultimately everything that we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Everything that the Christian does should be for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel and his kingdom. Now, think about it for just a second. Like, like Paul is in a Roman prison as he writes this letter. Just like he was in a Roman prison when he wrote to the Philippians. And listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, 
verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in prison, has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So did you catch that Paul's concern was he wanted the gospel to be advanced? And in this letter, we see that Paul is all about the glory of God. So go back again to Ephesians chapter 3. And you see in verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through genera- throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if the Apostle Paul can pray like this and glorify God like this, while he's sitting in a Roman prison. Dear friends, nothing should stop us from doing the same. Nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us. Uh, we, are, we are so grateful for all the the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. We are so grateful that before the foundation of the world, you chose us. You chose us so that we would be holy and blameless before you, as Ephesians chapter 1 was telling us. So God, we pray that you would enable us now to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. God, we pray that, that we, would, we would seek to glorify you with every facet of our lives. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would, would apply these truths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.